Welcome to Living Hope Podcasts. If you want to learn more about Living Hope and our ministries, you can find us online at livinghopecrc.ca. We hope you appreciate today's message. Um, At this point in the service, I invite you to take out your Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 5, which can be found on page 1501. Um, And we're also turning to James chapter 1, which is on page 1880. We're going to be reading all of verse 1 in James uh, to get us started, but we're also going to be reading uh, a larger section from the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5 and 6. And the reason why we're doing this is that we're setting up a series in James. And to know something about James, to know that he is going to teach in in the way, he's going to instruct in a way that sounds a lot like Jesus. And and we're going to be turning back to the Sermon on the Mount throughout the series. So as a way of just anticipating that, we're just going to hear the teachings of Jesus first. Also of note is, just want to mention James, it's a bit of a dangerous book. And I say this that recognizing for me, it was a pretty significant book in my life. Uh, my study in James was a big turning point for me. Uh, so just go back in time a little bit to when I had hair. Um, I was, I'm in a car, I guess I was going places, um, and symbolic of that. I, I was in Dalhousie University out in Halifax, and I found myself leading a small Bible study, a group of just five of us walking through James over a couple of months. Uh, When I started that study, I was a volleyball player. I was kind of living into my dream, uh, playing with some of the top players in the country, and I was also enrolled in a great program, had a few years left in that. By the time I finished the Bible study, I had made up my mind to quit volleyball. I moved back to BC, enroll at Columbia Bible College, and study missions. It's a little bit of a dangerous book to be diving into as a whole group here. Um, It was reading James that took me to take stock of what I was doing in my life and the varied things I was working towards, and it had me looking at where God was calling me, was that consistent with the direction that I was going? Now, if you don't have some of those same, or if you do have some of those same kind of feelings within you exploring God's calling, then just fair warning, uh, James can be a little bit relentless as we go through. Uh, his, his work, his, his letter is just full of imperatives and full of different commands of doing this and doing that. Seems like every second sentence he has something for us that we should be doing. And if you're not ready for that, just be warned that's coming as we get into James a little bit more. Now, the reason why James is doing that is not that we are Christians that that put on this sort of performance. The, the, The goal of James isn't that we just become really busy Christians that we're busy for Jesus. That that's not his goal. James is more focused on Christians living undivided lives. That's the title here that we have for our series and for 
today's message, this idea that we are called into a life that is undivided. And, and what I'll mean by that is James is pointing out that our lives shouldn't be divided on one hand as people who are saved by grace and transformed by the renewal of the Holy Spirit, and on the other hand, have unchecked aspects of our lives where we're full of envy and apathy, not wanting to go out and actually do things, where we have cynicism and laziness and hatred that can stew. This division is something that is not suited for the Christian life. He's calling us to live in a way that is undivided or we could say simple. Uh, there's a simplicity in it where it's consistent. Our, our thoughts, the way that we think about things and the things that we are doing are in alignment. James, as we'll note as well, he takes the teachings of Jesus quite seriously. Um, at the tail end of our reading in the, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus will mention that humanity is not meant to serve two masters. We are to be servants of one master. Uh, James will also introduce himself as a servant, uh, he, as this person that has this unified or undivided way of coming before God. Uh, so today, again, we're only going to be looking at the first verse of James, but that's setting us up for uh, the series that we'll be walking through James in the upcoming months. So let's come before God in prayer before reading God's Word together. Lord, to whom else shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Help us now to hear and obey what you have to say through Christ our Lord. Amen. James chapter 1, verse 1. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes scattered among the nations, greetings. Now, turning to Matthew, again, hearing the words of Jesus. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and then put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have, come, I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Truly, I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called the least in heaven, but whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. 
For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder. And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, will be answered to the Sanhedrin. And anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar and remember that a brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there at the front of the altar. Go first and be reconciled to that person. Then come and offer your gift. Settle matters quickly with your adversary who is taking you to court. Do it while you are still together on the way, or, you, or your adversary may hand you over to the judge, and the judge may hand you over to the officer, and you may be thrown into prison. Truly, I tell you, you will not get out until you have paid the last penny. Turning to chapter 6, verse 19. Do not store up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body, and if your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. The word of the Lord. So why start uh, a series in James in reading Matthew? Um, again, this is the context that I want us to be thinking of throughout the entire series. As I mentioned already, James can seem a little demanding as we go through it. And as you hear him, you might get caught thinking, like, who is this guy? Who does this person think he is? What basis does he have for saying these types of things? In those moments, I want you to think back to the Sermon on the Mount. Think back to what the Gospels record Jesus saying. Jesus has some pretty strong words for what his followers will do, how they behave. We are to be a salty people. We are to be light on a hill. We are to be a people devoted in prayer. One of the parts of the passage that we didn't read, we have the Lord's Prayer in there. Jesus talks about money. We are not to store our treasures on earth. There are stern words towards how we talk, ensuring that your yes is a yes and your no is a no. Jesus t talks even about the need to love your enemies. Now, when we read through the whole of the book of James, 
you'll find that James has internalized these types of teachings. He has taken them seriously. He has refused to water them down. He's refused to come to the, the community before them and saying, okay, you remember that Jesus said this. Well, actually, kind of what he meant was something a little bit easier, a little bit softer than he, he didn't mean all of that. Instead, James is full of words that we might expect to find from someone who has been with Jesus, who has listened to his parables, who has heard his teachings, who has heard the strength of what Jesus has to say. As a church community, we're centered around this phrase, growing in hope together through Jesus. And that is part of what has us starting the year off in James, because James gives a vivid picture of what it means to be followers of Jesus, what it means to be people, a community that is committed towards growth. He is ensuring that they are living into that calling that Jesus has given them. So you're encouraged as we're starting this series this, throughout the week and throughout the weeks to come to actually spend time in James itself. It's five chapters long. It's something that you can tackle in, in a sitting. And we're going to have opportunities to just sit and listen to what James has to say. Now, another reason uh, why I just wanted to have the words of Jesus fresh in our ears as we start in this series is I want to push back against an accusation that can sometimes be made about James. If you read the letter, you'll notice it doesn't actually talk that much about Jesus. It doesn't say much about Jesus' life, death, or resurrection. It doesn't mention the gospel. It's for those reasons that some people have even suggested that it doesn't really belong in the Bible. It's kind of a lesser-than book. Something that the people that make those types of arguments miss is that that's not what James is doing. James is entering into the same types of teachings that Jesus teaches. James is someone who is taking on what do these teachings of Jesus mean for the followers in that day? So if you're a mature Christian, know that this is a book that's for you. This is for people that have been walking and trying to follow the path that Jesus gives for us. If you're a new Christian, if these things are new to you, you're new to this church, allow the, the picture that James gives to be something that we aspire towards. This is not something that we can step into overnight. This is part of this lifelong journey that we have in following God. So you're encouraged to draw deeper into the wonder and the significance of what the gospel is. To, you're invited to see the significance of what Jesus did through looking at James's words and his encouragements to Jesus's followers. So let's start in looking at James here. And we'll just read this first line, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
We'll note James as servant, particularly. We'll start with that first word, James. This is telling us something already. This is written by a person. It's kind of personal as it starts. It's a letter. He's introducing himself, and he's choosing to give himself the title James, a servant. And this is a significant title, especially when we know his other options. So, so what other options did James have in, in introducing himself and in trying to give himself some authority as someone to be listened to? Uh, one of these options was James, brother of Jesus. Let that one sink in just for a moment. If you have siblings, uh, maybe think about that. If you don't have a brother, maybe you've seen sibling rivalries, you kind of know what that's about. It might kind of have you wonder what it was like for this guy growing up. I just kind of imagine him playing in a room kind of with Jesus and accidentally breaking a lamp or something like that. And you know that he's going to get into trouble for that. There's no blaming Jesus. You don't Mary's not going to believe you over your brother. Right? There's, there's some disadvantages that he had. Um, but it probably wouldn't be all bad. Uh, think of the insider information he had. This, this guy grew up with Jesus. Think of the wisdom that could have been imparted to him. Think of the conversations that he would have had. If, if we live in a world where, where moving up in the world is about who you know, this, this guy's got some pretty stellar connections. Uh, in a society where all the rulers are kind of following a particular bloodline, if you're king, you're related. They live in a culture where the Levites are, it's, it's again, this is a family kind of dictates who is in control. In this sort of society, your brother is Jesus. This is something you've got to leverage. But James doesn't use that personal connection to get himself into the Bible. And what's more, uh, James actually has a second option, which is also pretty weighty. Uh, James, at the time of writing this letter, is the leader of the church in Jerusalem. Jerusalem is a big deal. This is the, the central hub of early Christianity. Think of um, Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Where, where Jesus says, like, uh, along the, the giving of the Holy Spirit, that they will be witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria out to the ends of the earth. Uh, Jerusalem has the central place. And the fact that it is a central place actually shows up uh, throughout other places in the Bible. We can look at Acts chapter 15, for instance, where Paul, Apostle Paul, has this dispute out in Antioch. And Paul and Barnabas are kind of uh, in this argument between other Christians, and it can't be settled out in Antioch. So, so what does Paul do? Paul goes to where the, the deepest, the, the best of the authorities are. They set up a council in Jerusalem. And at this council, a number of people speak up. Uh, first, you have Simon Peter. Um, Peter, again, one of the disciples, speaks up. And then Paul and Barnabas say something. And let's just read how this is put here. The whole assembly became silent as they listened to Barnabas and Paul telling about the signs and the wonders God had done amongst the Gentiles through them. When they finished, James spoke up. Brothers, he said, listen to me, Simon, Peter. 
has described to us how God first intervened to choose a people for his name from the Gentiles. Goes on to quote some scripture and then says, it is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. And that kind of settles it. Um, not only is this the, highlighting the importance of the church in Jerusalem, this is where the council happens, but this shows, again, that James has a pretty weighty voice. Everyone else has kind of chimed in, and to, to give this final conclusion, James says, it is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult. We, we get this sense, this is someone of authority. Uh, furthermore, if, if you want to just find other examples there out there, you can look at um, Galatians chapter 2, verse 9. James also comes up, and in that instance, Paul, you have a, the Apostle Paul, and he's trying to say to the people in, in Galatia that he is someone worth listening to. And why is he someone worth listening to? Why is he um, in agreement with other people? Well, the, the pillars of the church are in agreement with him. Who are the pillars of the church? He lists John, Peter, and James. So James gets the special title, pillar of the early church. This is kind of where the foundations of Christianity are laid. I don't know about you, just knowing those things about James kind of makes me excited to read the rest of that letter. We get a window into what one of the pillars of the early church has to say to encourage other Christians. What's to follow this first verse are words from someone who led an incredibly dynamic time where Scripture is being written, where people are trying to figure out what does it mean to be the followers of the resurrected Christ? What does this person have to say to us? J just at this first word, we should kind of be leaning in. What does James have to say? Well, he introduces again himself as James, a servant. Not James, the brother of Jesus, not James, leader of the church in Jerusalem, not James, pillar of the church, but James, a servant. It's, it's, it's the kind of introduction that kind of has me thinking, okay, how, how do I introduce myself? What sort of, kind of titles or things do we do to kind of prop ourselves up? What, what's something that makes, that I think makes me someone worth listening to? We can think at this broader scale as well. What gives authority in our community? What makes you someone worth listening to? Is it, is it titles? Is, is it a degree? Is it being on a particular committee or maybe a prestigious board that you're a part of? According to James, he doesn't list any of those things off. That's not what makes him someone worth listening to. It's the fact that he is a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ, who in Philippians chapter 2 is the one who is described as a servant. James is signaling here that he is part of a new type of community where blood ties 
or leadership titles are not the basis of authority. He is worth listening to because he is someone who serves. He is someone who lives in accordance to his calling. Uh, if, you, if you read uh, some sources from the early church, from the, the few centuries afterwards, you'll find that James has another nickname. His, he's often referred to as James the Righteous. It kind of confirms to us that he was known as someone who lived consistently into this calling. He was someone that was known as someone who lived as a servant. He kind of modeled this undivided life. Now, undivided is going to have a, a big part in our series because it's a central component for James. Later in his letter, uh, you'll find this actually in verse 8, he, he makes up a word. If you look out at Greek literature out there, it doesn't show up anywhere before James's letter, and this word is double-minded for the visual learners out there. Uh, double-minded has this image kind of coming to my mind, at least, where we have our thoughts on one end and our actions on the other. Now, the, the person who is not double-minded, the person who is kind of undivided, is whole. The things are together. Your, your thoughts and your actions are working together. But the divided person, there we have some, is, have some sad faces in there. Your thoughts and your actions are kind of fighting against each other. That's a, some little fisty fisticuffs. Um, these are in opposition. Now, in contrast to that, we have a unified person. This is the way in which we are supposed to be. In describing what the unified person looks like, James gives all sorts of different things, so th things that we can anticipate of the unified, kind of single-minded person, is that they don't show favoritism to the rich. They're generous people. A single-minded person is quick to listen and slow to speak. They're slow to become angry. The single-minded person, kind of in other words, is someone who grows in the imitation of God. God can be described as this single-minded or undivided person. In God, there is no kind of difference between the, the thoughts and the actions. God acts in complete consistency with his character. The single-minded person is the person who grows in the imitation of the God who announces himself as the one who is slow to anger and abounding in love. As I've already pointed out, the, the sermon title for today is Undivided. Undivided, if you look that up in the dictionary, you'll get a definition like someone who's devoted completely to one object. Uh, the undivided person shows up in the Sermon on the Mount. We kind of finished our reading with this. No one can serve two masters. It seems that James's emphasis on the undivided person actually comes from Jesus' teachings. 
Jesus, in talking about money in this passage, makes a larger claim that following God is not something that we can be on the, on the fence about, that if, if we are rightly to be followers of him, that we live into the ways in which he calls us. So this is going to be something that challenge us, challenges us in this letter. In what way are we living into this calling of being a whole person this undivided person. This is where James, I think, was a little bit dangerous for me, and I think dangerous in a good way. James challenged me in living this out. I, I looked in my life, kind of that 2006 version of me, and I saw this, this division. I didn't see consistency with where God was calling me and what I was doing. This took me into times of prayer. It took me into spaces deeper in devotion to Scripture, to conversations with others. And it led me to a fairly large life change. So I want us to be considering as we're looking at this, what sort of danger is there in taking these words seriously? It might be disruptive in your life, disruptive in a good way. Uh, are we willing to allow James to speak to us? Are we allow, willing to allow God to speak to us through James's words here? Now, I said that this disruption is something that is good, and one of the reasons why it is good is because James describes himself here as not just any servant, but a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. I mentioned earlier, too, that James doesn't have the best of the reputations amongst some scholars because he doesn't mention Jesus enough. Um, the accusation is that he probably has a pretty low view of Jesus, but again, this doesn't match up with what James has to say. Right here, he does something that would be unthinkable in first century Judaism. He lines up Jesus' brother just right alongside God. He is elevating Jesus alongside the Almighty God. At the core of James here, we have to look that not only do his teachings follow Jesus's, especially in the Sermon of the Mount, but Jesus' teachings um, throughout the Gospels as we see them, we also must be considering that any claim that he makes is based on the understanding that he is a servant first of the Lord Jesus Christ. At the core of James is this gospel-centered conviction that because Jesus did something that actually matters, that actually impacts all of reality, our lives must be changed if we claim to follow him. If the gospel is really good news, if Jesus really did what he claimed to do, then we must be changed. Now, if, if we want to be technical when we talk about what the gospel is, sometimes there's this differentiation that's given, that the gospel itself is regarding Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. The gospel is related to a person, that Jesus is the good news, God incarnate, salvation coming to humanity. The gospel can be viewed in the event, especially of Good Friday, 
the good news of our sins being paid for, that that's not something that we have to do, but Jesus doing for us. But when we talk about the gospel, we can also talk about the gospel implications. Because of the gospel good news, there are things that must come from it. And here we can say that Jesus invites us into wholeness. It's never on the basis of our actions that we are saved. In all of these encouragements, it's not about trying to earn salvation. It is we are rooted first and foremost as followers of God, as people who have received this grace. And from there, as servants of God, as fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, we move forward, growing in hope together through Jesus. Dropped my pencil there. For the last word here, let's just move on to where it finishes. To the 12 tribes scattered among the nations, greetings. This addresses uh, an audience here. James is not just um, writing to his home church. He's not writing to a particular church like sometimes Paul does in Rome or in Ephesus. James is writing to the churches scattered amongst the nations. We can kind of think of this as James in Jerusalem writing to Antioch and Alexandria and to Ephesus, wherever the Jewish Christians are found. In a more contemporary application, we can extend this to the far reaches of the globe. So whether it's in Beijing or Dakar or Buenos Aires or Abbotsford, we can read this as written to our church. And notice in that context, it's not just written to an individual. This is written to a whole of a community. This calls towards community behavior. And I think that's important to note because we're used, we're kind of conditioned in thinking ourselves only in isolation as individuals, and that can be particularly tempting for James. We can only look at it of how does this change my life? And I hope that's part of your reflection, um, that you should be encouraged to think, what ways is the Holy Spirit speaking to me and convicting me and challenging me to be formed more into God's likeness? But there's also a recognition that we are not doing this on our own. This is written to a whole community for people who are known in communities. It's said that the individual is only addressed in James insofar as they're part of a larger community. The community is essential. It's the context for which we take in the rest of the words here. So I just want to give a last encouragement as we're starting off in our series here to read through James. Take a look at what is in the words that follow this introduction. And also spend some time in Matthew, especially chapter 5 through 7, Jesus' teachings, the words that Jesus has to say. Notice how they'll overlap. And we're going to explore that more again in the upcoming weeks. As we're reflecting, I want us to be reflecting. What does it mean for me? What does it mean as an individual basis, but also to be thinking to open this up to the community 
What does it mean to be a community that is known in the way that James is encouraging them? What does it mean to be a whole community that cares for the poor? A whole community that is slow to anger and quick to listen? What does it mean to be a whole community who takes seriously the teachings of Jesus? A community that is living into this call to be salt and light. With that, let's turn to God in prayer. Dear Lord, we thank you for James, uh, for your servant whom you called to lead the early church, to spurn them into action, ever attentive to Jesus' teachings. As we spend time before his words, may we see how your Holy Spirit was at work in him. May we see Jesus and his teachings come through in his encouragements towards action, May we take these words as individuals and as a community to teach us, to correct us, at times even rebuke us, and to train us into righteousness. May we see the good and healing ways that you sometimes bring disruption. As we look at the different calls to action throughout this letter, all the implications that come from being gospel people, Help us never to forget the grace of the gospel itself, that your salvation is a gift that we don't deserve and that our actions don't move us an inch towards our salvation, but it is all you towards us. May we respond in gratitude. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. We hope that you are encouraged and challenged in the message and through the work of the Spirit. Once again, if you want to learn more about Living Hope, you can find us online at livinghopecrc.ca.